Well, when I was uh, in about seventh grade, we moved to from Minnesota down to Rockford, Illinois, which the major thing there is what I loved playing was hockey, and they didn't have any there, so I wrestled. Because that was the thing you did in Rockford, Illinois, if you're going to really do a sport. Um, and I wrestled at 126 pounds. It's just, they've gained about five since then. <laughs> it's, I cut weight, did all that stuff. I struggled, suffered, got down there, did all the stuff they probably don't do today. Um, but I did learn something in wrestling that... Um, will always stick with me. A number of things, but one of them is this. I have never, ever, ever been so exhausted in any other sport, and I've played a lot of them, as in wrestling. To have someone on top of you trying to turn you over, possibly to pin you, and to try and withhold that, and to do that for just two minutes, okay, it's two, in that time, three two-minute periods, you're just exhausted. It's like you have nothing left to give. Have you ever struggled to the point of exhaustion for anything? Have you ever struggled with all the energy within you? Some of you have run marathons, right? And you know when you get down to that last few miles, everything inside you wants to quit. Some other sport that you've been a part of. Maybe not that. Maybe it's in prayer. Have you ever prayed for someone with your heart so deeply that it aches, that there's a kind of exhaustion in your soul? I was going to ask you to turn to someone and tell them, but you know what? That's probably just too private of a matter, right? And what I find interesting is when we come to this passage of Scripture, Paul says in Colossians chapter um, 1, verse 29, into the first verse of chapter 2, which is what we're looking at today, is struggling, this whole idea of struggling for the best. Paul says this, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, God's energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And the actual word for struggle is that kind of word where you struggle to the point where you are giving every last ounce that you have. And you, you just got to ask yourself, why the struggle? And especially for people you've never met. Who does that? I named this series of messages in Colossians, and we're doing kind of an overview, quick run through it. But I named it God's Best for You. Because this little letter sent to a house church, because they were just house churches, they didn't have, um, until almost the fourth century, they didn't have any kind of meeting places, they met in homes. And so he writes this letter to them to be shared to this house church and other house churches. And there's probably just one in that city and and in other cities in neighboring towns. And it can be summed up simply as the gift of Jesus is the very best God can do for you. Or you could use the words, Jesus is enough. And last week, 
we talked a little bit about in Jesus, Paul says, God dwells. And so, you know, if, if you want more than God, then there isn't anything. And when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus where you actually begin to move into his grace and his love, you receive, and he says, the best of everything. Which that phrase, the best of everything, reminds me of a store in Naples, Florida, that I would... I'm married to a wife and I have two girls. And so when they're going to a store, you either go in it, sit in the car. Anybody ever done this before? And so it was this kind of thing. We'd have to go to this best of everything. And so I would just start mocking, kind of like, as I'd go through, this is the best of everything. Little trinkets and stuff like that. They're here, sorry. Anyway. But Paul is saying, seriously, folks, you will not find in any other place that which is the best with regard to God's heart for you, his love for you, the expression of that love, as you will in Jesus. And so uh, this outline that I shared with you before, just a quick overview as we come to this point in chapter 2, you'll see... He begins in Colossians verses 3 through 8, and he says, this is how I'm thanking God for you. He moves on in verse 9 through 23 of chapter 1, and he says, this is how I'm praying for you. And now in these verses that we're going to look at, and there's a lot of them, so we're going to go through them quickly. We won't do a deep dive into these. He says, this is how I'm struggling with God for you. This is how I'm struggling with God for you. And it all leads to the main focus because the, the key verse that unlocks everything else in this, in this letter that Paul is writing is found in these verses, verses 6 and 7, where it says these words. And I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read these together. So if you would be willing to... Okay, I saw a few of you going, oh, i got to stand again. Um, just trying to keep you from falling asleep. Okay, let's say this together. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Thanks. You may be seated. If you look at this, it's very interesting that Paul is using this kind of statement to come to just kind of core of what he's going to say. And he basically says, continue to live your life in him. And this in him is a really big deal. Because he says, in him and Christ in you. This idea that you are enveloped in God in some way. And he says, in him, rooted, and he uses different analogies here. Rooted, your your life takes root in his love and you are then built up in him. And your, your, your faith is strengthened in him. And you're overflowing with thanksgiving. These are implied in him. Which is the mark of, of a person who really knows the love of God. It's, it's the mark of one who goes, you know, I know God loves me. There is, there is this sense of thankfulness that begins to kind of overflow into the life. And it doesn't mean that you just do it without practice or initiation. You really have to, I mean, it's something that is, is, that we have to do. We have to say, God, let me thank you today, like we did, for my breath. It's amazing how you thank God and you thank someone. It takes, in a sense, your mind off the problems and struggles and it puts it on something that has been done for you and it, it begins to release some sense of joy and peace in your heart. And if you struggle with anxiety or things like that, one of the things that are really helpful is to just practice thankfulness. And so what we're going to look at in this passage of scripture are these verses, verses 24 through 29, when he says, in Jesus, this is who you can be. 
Coming into chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, in, these, in Jesus, this is what you have. And then in verses 6 through 23, in Jesus, this is how you should live, in a sense. This is how to live. And so the first one is, in, the, in, in Jesus, this is who you can be. If you look at verses 24 and 27, and I, as I read these, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. It's not as if he's needing to suffer more, and in his suffering he's doing more than, than Jesus did. It's just he comes along and says, part of, part of becoming a person who follows Jesus is that you will end up suffering. You will give away your rights at times in order to increase or empower others. You will give in order to strengthen. You will do things that can cause discomfort and suffering. And so he says, for the sake of his body, which is the church, he's been suffering, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. It's a mouthful. We'll get into that. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, here it is, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Basically, Paul is saying that he's willing to go undergo all kinds of suffering to help make known to everyone something that God has recently revealed. God is a God who reveals himself, and he reveals himself in times. You read through the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, they're always pointing to this great revelation that would come in Jesus. And in Jesus, it was not just that, that, that God was for a people in Israel and for a, a specific ethnic group. His whole point was, this is for all people. Jesus and the love that's in the heart of God is for all who he's created. And so basically, Paul is saying simply, Jesus... And the richness of this once hidden mystery is this, Christ in you. That if you've opened your heart and you say, yeah, I want to know this God. I want to I walk with this God. I want to know this God. He's, he's revealed in Jesus and it's Christ, the Messiah, the one he's come in you. He's the hope of glory. And so in a sense, it's God's home has moved from a building. And this is part of what happens when Jesus came. He moved his home from a building, a temple, to take up residence in Jesus. And so when he was walking along, that's what was so difficult for the Jewish and the Pharisees and others in that day is because Jesus was saying, God dwells in me. I am God in flesh. And not only that, he was making another claim. His Torah, which was the expression of the will of God, and we talk about the law, it's not just a bunch of commandments. It's a living, breathing sense will of God that expresses himself in life and was specifically expressed in these laws. And he says he no longer is a law that is just written on some tablets. What Jesus did was to come and then as he came and he lived and that expression of God's will and the residence of God's being was in him, he says what I want you to know is the reason I have to go is because you are all simply made to be temples in which the Holy Spirit can live, God himself can live. You're not God, you're not little gods, if that's what you know. our culture is saying. No, you aren't. You are a created being, but God resides in you. Christ in you, the hope of all glory, who lives in you. And here's the other thing. The very expression of his will, his law, is no longer written on a bunch of tablets of stone. They're actually written into your heart so that you can follow him. He can direct your heart. And so Christ takes residence in your heart. And Paul says, for this reason, here's the reason he struggles. He wants to get this message to everyone he can. He will do whatever it takes 
to be a servant of God, to bring the message. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to struggle with all the energy that God places in him for people he doesn't even know. So listen to what Paul says now in verse 28 through 29. Here's kind of what he's struggling for. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect. And I put in there fully mature because that's what this word means. Everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. To what end? His whole hope was to do this. In Jesus, as you open your heart and he resides in you and his will, his law begins to move in and through you, the ultimate outcome, this end, is what Paul says, is that you will be all that God has created you to be. That you will become the kind of person that God has always envisioned you to be. And that God will help you make that happen. It's not so much that you're saying, God, come into my heart and I have a bunch of these dreams and will you just come alongside and make those happen? You know, I'm writing a story, God, and you know, I really like the story I got. And, and God comes and goes, no, no, the whole, this whole thing was made so that you will fit into my story. And are you willing to open your heart to, to submit yourself, to understand your need of me and to walk with me so that you can begin to allow my spirit to flow through you to write the story that I am writing. And you have a perfect place that no one else can fit into that story the way you do. Calvin, as I mentioned last week, he, he, he writes these words. In Christ, God shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. So if you look at Jesus, he's basically saying, and, and he's not saying this, Paul said this, others, you will see God himself. As the perfect image of God, Jesus reveals what God intended humans to be. In God's eyes, he sees you and loves you He looks at you and he sees Jesus. He frees you from all the sin and all the guilt. And he says if you would just um, open your heart and begin to um, trust in him. If you're willing to recognize your selfishness and repent of your own sin, that keeps you separated. You know what it's like? I mean, people have a hard time with the word sin. We, We like to not call people sinners today, but mistakers. But mistakers really doesn't cut it, right? Because if someone comes to you and they've done something and they've betrayed you and you say, well, I made a mistake, when you know that they willfully did something. And so the word of God says, yeah, we come to him and we just say, you know what? I'm not just a mistaker. I'm a sinner. And God goes, but I love you. I see you. And I look at you as Jesus. Now, in the eyes of others, when you open your heart to God, you'll still look pretty much the same. And you'll pretty much do the same kind of things because those habits take time for the Spirit of God to move in your heart to begin to recreate those desires that he's placed in you to begin to flow out of you. But Paul is saying that what that he will do whatever it takes to help any person, and his words are written here for us as well, for you to become the person God created you to be. He will use his gifts, his energy, whatever it is. So I just thought of a couple questions as I was going through this that I'd love for you to think about. Have you ever struggled for anyone like this? But let me get behind that question and ask you this question. Has anyone struggled for you like this? 
Really think about it for a second. Has anyone struggled for you to be all that you can be like this? And think about that person's struggle on your behalf. And how that has impacted your life today. Would you be where you're at if it wasn't for that person's struggle? What I find interesting in my own life, in my own heart, is just at times I look at and I just go, my struggle so often is about me. I'm really challenged by this because I know of people who have struggled for me. And I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for their struggle, which is just a challenge that says, God, if you've taken a president in my heart, which he says he will, if you open your heart to him, and his Holy Spirit begins to dwell in you, and he has given you his law, his expressed will. And his expressed will is really pretty simple. Love God and love others as you love yourself. Is there anyone that God might be calling you to struggle for? Is there anyone that maybe five, ten years down the road, they're going to go, when someone shares something about struggling, they're going to go, you know what? Because of the choice you made today, their life is different. I, um, I remember back when I was in, in junior high, middle school those years, and I was in Rockford, Illinois, as I had told you, and um, it was interesting because in those days, you know, get out the violin, you know, how you, you know, dad, you, know, you talk about you walk miles to go to school and stuff like that. Well, in those days, we'd go to church for three plus hours in the morning and another two hours at night, sometimes three hours at night. The whole day was about church. Now, I'm not advocating that we go back to that or anything like that, but I'm just saying, here I was, but here's what was really cool. One of the things that made me excited about church in the evening was there was a couple. Their name was Jim and Mary Lou Widstrom. And I think back about them. They had kids who were my age. And they would get, as the parents, they would get a couple other parents every week together. And after the service on a Sunday night, they would take us all out for pizza. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like they were opening up the Bible and trying to teach it. All they were doing was providing a place of community for us. And that community they provided is something that has marked my life and changed my life. And I look back at it and I go, that was amazing. And as I thought about it, I thought, man, in just a nondescript way, in a way that I wouldn't even have thought about unless I began to do just what I'm doing, they struggled for me. They gave up time and they gave up energy. They used to take us out on Friday nights and teepee the girls' homes. <laughs> now, thank God there's not a Jim and Mary Lou Woodstrom in this church, right? That could be you. Not teeping homes. Um, but that could be you doing just whatever God's gifted you to do to help someone become something more than that they ever thought they could be. That's possible. And it doesn't mean you have to be a preacher or someone who's a musician. It could be that you're leading a, a small group. We talk a lot about community. I encourage you to be in community. It may be that God says, you know what? It doesn't take a lot. You don't have to be a Bible teacher. All you have to do is facilitate people around the word of God. And, and there's so many tools out there today. You can read and, and come together and you can make a change in a person's life that, that challenges their thinking and their understanding and transforms their heart and their life and creates this space where they feel loved. 
He goes on, he says, and Jesus is what you have, verses two, chapter two, verses one through five. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. See this word again, I'm contending. These are athletic imageries. For those at Laodicea and for all of you who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Namely, it's Jesus, it's Christ, it's the Messiah in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Although although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Paul's words in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is this. It's basically, I don't want anyone to miss the best. It's a, it, I, it, I could paraphrase it. Please listen. I'm so concerned. I wish I could sit down face to face and have a heart to heart with you. This is what Paul is kind of saying. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to know, not some, but all the treasures and wisdom that are in Christ. If you could just understand what it means to have a simple, trusting relationship with Jesus, where you have now the Holy Spirit in you, and he has revealed his, his, not only you are his residence, but he's revealed his expressed will in your heart, that you can begin through the word of God as you have the word of God in you, with the spirit of God, and with other people around you who are, who are walking this journey with you, speaking in your life. You have all the resources in Jesus to give you wisdom. It's a treasure trove of his love and goodness for you. I just don't want you to miss it. A lot of people, what happens in their faith, they come to church and they go through some of the motions and they, they have come to a place where they've accepted and received forgiveness, which is an incredible gift of, to know that this God who is holy and just has forgiven you. And, and he says, I will not count your sin against you, that past, present, and future. And the relief it is that I don't have to work and measure up and somehow make it. And you begin to understand the grace of God and you're thankful for the cross and you're overflowing with this thanksgiving. But what you don't realize is there's so much more. His, his whole job was not just to come here so you can get a ticket to get to heaven someday. His whole entire work was to get heaven into your heart. That you can begin to create within your own life and within your own marriage, within your own family, with around your, your friends and others. You can begin to create an atmosphere of heaven. Now, it's not perfect because we are all learning to do this. But God is in you. In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom. Everything that's needed to make that happen is possible. You look so serious, and it's probably because I'm just so serious. <laughs> I get all intense. Um, it's basically what Paul is saying. In Jesus, then he goes on to say, this is how you should live. If you want to be the best and experience the best of Jesus, this is how to live. I, I think you could say the best life possible. And his advice is just simple. It's keep it simple. It's kind of the kiss principle. That's what verses 6 and 7 really is. It's keep it simple. Don't get sidetracked into all kinds of complexity is what he's saying. He, he, he basically says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, what you heard about him is grace, is love, and just the simple trust that if you walk with him... He is going to, and he has because of how much he's loved you. I mean, if someone will die for you, there isn't much more they can do. And if he loves you like that, then be rooted in that love. And then not only that, he changes imagery. Be built up in that love. It's all about love. 
As God love begins to just penetrate into your heart and begin to grow you up. He, and it's all about your faith, he says, that needs to be strengthened that God loves you like that. But deep within your being, he knows you, he loves you, he sees you, he, he would do whatever he could. In fact, he did. Through a cross. And so he makes a simple statement, live as you began, just as you received Jesus, continue then to live in him. It began with trust, and each step of your life should just be a step of trust in Jesus. It's almost like he's saying, don't forget those first days when you opened your heart to him, and you simply acknowledged your need, and you humbly confessed your sin, and you trusted this gift of God's grace, and you were forgiven, and you were filled with thankfulness, unconditionally you understood you were loved. And it took heart, root in your heart. And he's basically saying, just return to, return to your first love and live in that all the time. Don't get sidetracked. And in in, in we make things so complex, don't we, when it's really just simple. Don't let others deceive you with all kinds of fine-sounding arguments. You ever feel like you have to figure it all out? I am um, at the elder board meeting this last Tuesday was sharing of how I was struggling with clarity and and I was just excited about the vision God has given us as a church to do whatever it takes to serve this West Metro, this community we're in, in the name of Jesus and excited about just these pillars about being a people who, who worship God with our life and come together to worship and we are a people that learn to be in community and yet get into community with others where we learn how to live with one another and, and this whole idea of serving life with our life as well as specific areas where you use the gifts that you have. But I was also just saying, God, I just want more clarity. And I was sharing some of this with the elders. And, and the next day, Mike Murray, who's our executive pastor, handed me this little note. And on the note he had scribbled, I thought you, this would be helpful or something like this. It's a story by Brendan Manning, who shares how a noted philosopher and ethicist from St. Louis University went to Calcutta seeking wisdom and counsel from Mother Teresa. And he went for three months to work at the house of the dying. Here's this guy who's lived this life, has impacted all kinds of people, written books and periodicals and different things that he's been in and just had a great influence. He's After this influential career that he has, he was going to Calcutta because he was in this transition point and he was hoping to get direction on how to spend the rest of his life. In the second half, what do I do? And so he met Mother Teresa and he asked her to pray for him. And what do you want me to pray for? She replied. And he then uttered the request that he had carried thousands of miles in his heart to bring to her. And he said, clarity. Pray that I have clarity. And Mike gave me this article, which is I was saying. And she goes, no. Mother Teresa answers, no. I will not do that. And he looked a little perplexed and he asked, why? And she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. Mother Teresa, he kind of blurted back, you always seem to have clarity, the very kind of clarity I'm looking for. And Mother Teresa laughed, this little lady, and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Simply trust Jesus to lead you. So I'm coming to God looking for answers to prayer. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I think God is saying, just cling to me. I am the answer. 
And I will reveal what you need as you just follow and trust me. Step by step. With the light that I give you. Anybody else need to hear that? Anybody else in that place? You're free? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Paul is simply writing, I pray that you would trust God like you first did. It's all about simple dependency and God's goodness and grace and looking up at Jesus and looking at all he's given you so that your heart explodes with thanksgiving and how look how quickly I look down. It's so easy to in our culture. Just read the paper. Listen to the news. Just start thinking about life. And it's easy to start kind of focusing down. And I look at the problems and then forget that there is a God who really does love me. And he just says, settle down. I will, as you walk with me, you can trust me and I will lead. And so quickly, Satan robs my joy. He steals my thanks. And God says, look up. Next Sunday, Peter's going to come and he's going to get into this great passage in chapter 3 where he just says, look up, keep your eyes up, start walking, looking up. Keep it simple, don't get caught up in arguments. I'll move through these really quickly because I'm almost done here. In fact, I should be done right now, so I will get done right now. I'll just tell you what the three are. Keep it simple, he says in these verses 9 through 15. Don't get caught up in arguments Make your faith about arguments. Um, Don't make it about arguments, but just make it about a life of Jesus. Just do what you were simply doing. Just walk and trust him. Live what you know. Basically, just live what you know. Live with joy and overflow with thanksgiving because when you do that, it is your best argument. (laughs) It is your best argument. Let God move in your heart and change you. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't get pressured to look holy. That's what verses 16 through 19 is. I just kind of would sum it up. Is there's just this pressure all the time, especially in the Christian community. You've got to look a certain way. And he's going, no, it's not about looking a certain way. It's not, to, it's not about what's outside. It's what's inside. Is Jesus changing your inside? Is he causing you to become a more loving person? When you stand before God someday, one of the things he's going to ask is, you, have you become a more loving person? That's what's holy in the eyes of God. Jesus is the source of spiritual life. That's what he says here. If you lose connection with the head, he says in this one verse here, he says, these people have done this and they're getting this direction and they lose connection with the head. Because he's using the idea that he's the source of the nourishment and the life of these people. Because with your eyes, think about it. You see with your eyes the danger ahead. You hear with your ears the possibility of a car rushing your direction. You, With your mouth you eat and you feed yourself. And I mean, you just think of the senses, the nose, you kind of know the fire is coming, right? Do you smell the smoke? Your head is the sense that keeps your body growing and, and firm. And that's what he says here. Jesus is the source of your spiritual life. Try and find life in anything but Jesus and you will begin to wither. So Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing because he's the head. He's the source of your life. Keep it simple. Don't get fooled into what I call white-knuckling righteousness. You can't change what's inside necessarily by a bunch of rules. I mean, you can have practices that you do that help you stay in touch with God, but they are not the things that change you. Rules don't bring about inner transformation. They lack the value to restrain, restrain sensual indulgence. So, 
what we're going to do is move into a time, and I, I would ask you to be thinking about a couple things as you kind of move in this time. We're going to talk about our Chinese ministry and about this is a Sunday where we, um, around the world, churches are acknowledging the, the persecuted Christian. And there are people who are struggling for faith and struggling to give the faith to others. So I'm going to ask George and I'm going to ask Sai if they would um, come up in just a moment. But the worship team, if you'd come up first and lead us. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to move into this part. We're going to sing this song and move into this place. And then I'll come up and conclude. <laughs>